The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the hosts and the guests. Hello, and welcome to episode 31 of Two Millennials One Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Gable, and today we are talking about Seattle. Before we get started, I'd like to remind everybody, if you've yet to subscribe to this show, please do so. We're available on almost every podcasting app, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, you name it, we're probably on it. And please, if you have yet to share this show with your friends, do so. Repost us on Facebook, tweet us, do whatever, spread this show. We really appreciate all of the help that you've given us thus far. As you probably picked up from the intro, I'm doing this episode solo. Abby has the week off, and instead of inviting a guest host on, I decided to talk about something that I'm passionate about, the city of Seattle. Now, that may seem weird coming from a Midwesterner, but I love the town of Seattle. I should call it a city. It's not a town. What Seattle offers to a Midwesterner, me specifically, is a vast culture. The culture of Seattle, it has a hipster vibe. It is coffee on every corner. It's quirky music, it's art, it's graffiti. It is a vast area of new and exciting things. And as someone that grew up in the Midwest, in Iowa specifically, in Missouri, you don't find places like that. There isn't a lot of hip culture around. Now, some people may argue there are locations in St. Louis or Des Moines or Cedar Rapids that are really cool and hip, and I don't dispute that, but as far as a mecca of culture, that's Seattle in my opinion. Also, what Seattle has to offer offer is if you had an hour, not even an hour, if you had any amount of time north, east, south, or west of the city, you encounter amazing types of nature. You encounter the ocean. You can encounter mountains. You can encounter plains if you want to, or forests. In fact, there's a rainforest a couple hours away, like a legitimate rainforest that I had the pleasure of trompsing through and getting soaking wet a few months ago. Why is that better? Well, if you go north, east, south, or west of my current location here in the Midwest, you pretty much hit corn. You may hit a river or a stream, but it's flat. It's not thrilling. It's mundane. And not to insult where I'm coming from, that's not the objective of this podcast. I'm just trying to point out the difference between here and the Pacific Northwest. So all kinds of great things about Seattle, but that wasn't the whole point of this podcast. The point of this podcast isn't to toot the horn for Seattle. It's to make listeners aware of what's currently going on in Seattle. Currently, there's an explosion. It's growing very rapidly in the city and surrounding areas mostly because of the introduction of these large tech companies. Now, tech has always been a part of Seattle. If you think about Microsoft, that started up in that area. But recently, companies like Amazon opening up tech jobs in the city. And what that brings is a large proportion of workers that are making fairly competitive wages, good wages. So what has happened is these well-paid tech employees are buying up local real estate in the city. And the price of housing and rent in the city has exploded. It's gotten very, very expensive to live in Seattle, such that there is a growth of homeless population who can no longer afford to live there. So now they're living out on the streets. And also this has caused problems for millennials specifically. And that's why this is showing up on a millennial podcast. If you are not being properly compensated in Seattle right now, then you're going to have to make some tough decisions about where you're living because living downtown in the city of Seattle, that's almost not an option. So you may have to 
to go outside of the city to find housing. You may have to live with several people in a flat or in an apartment to make this work. And this is becoming an issue for millennials such that you have this dichotomy. You have people that have it. You have people that are buying these locations and these properties that have enough money to do so. And then you have these people that don't that are currently being forced out of the city. And I mean, as you can imagine, it's making some people bitter. What I had done for this podcast is I've talked to several individuals about their experience of being a millennial in the city of Seattle. And you're going to hear both sides. It's truly a dichotomy of maybe not the haves or have nots, but the people that like this expansion, like this growth can survive in this environment. And then the ones that can't and are getting more and more frustrated with the current state of events. But before I get into that, I want to recap briefly some cool things I discovered in my most recent trip to Seattle a couple weeks ago. First off, Amazon has opened a store called Amazon Go, where you enter by scanning your cell phone. There are no employees there to check you out. There's someone standing at the door to make sure that a proper amount of people enter, meaning they don't want the store too full. But that's the only employee besides the stalkers. So there are people putting stuff on shelves and there's people monitoring who comes in and out. The cool part is you just pick up what you want and then you exit. You don't have to talk to anybody. You don't exchange payment. You don't check out. What happens is the store knows what you have purchased through cameras and weighted shelves and all kinds of cool technology and you just exit. In fact, I recorded our trip through there. I am in the Amazon Go store where you use your app to get in, you grab what you want and you leave and it automatically charges your card or your Amazon account and no one checks you out. And stuff's cheap in here, 49 cent water, $1.10 for smart water. And that's a great deal. A lot of people in here. Uh, I've seen a bunch of people stocking so far, but again, no checkout people. They have a selection of random things. Chips, Cheez-Its, salads, meals ready to eat, Noosa, God bless them. Alcohol, macaroni and cheese, about everything you could need. Hamburger, milk, all self-serve. You grab it, you go, it charges your card. Pretty insane. So as you can hear, not only was I stoked about the low prices, I was stoked about just being able to exit without talking to anybody. What happened is I left, my phone lit up and said, hey, thanks for spending $2.50 at Amazon Go. Your total trip time was 48 seconds. Thank you. So cool. I don't know if this is where we're headed as far as the rest of retail in the future, but it's a cool concept, especially people that don't like to talk to other people. Just run in there, grab what you want, leave, and you're charged for it on your credit card. Like I said, I don't know if that will spread, but it was cool to experience. And that was right there on Amazon's campus, more or less. Definitely designed for Amazon employees, but it was cool to run through there and grab some things I need and experience that technology. Another thing I was excited about on this trip was right before we left was the time when all of these companies are cracking down on the amount of single serve plastics that are available. And we discussed this in a previous episode about the last straw, but I was excited to get out there and see what was happening. And what we discovered was at least at Starbucks, the big company that obviously started in Seattle, they hadn't eliminated straws. What they have done instead is they have made a biodegradable straw. I'm at Westlake Center here in Seattle. I've just had my second Starbucks of the day. I'm really being a local. I'm happy to report that Starbucks has moved apparently to a compostable straw. And I'm excited to see that. So now instead of those going into the trash, they can go into the compost bin and apparently they'll break down. 
for all intents and purposes, it seems like a normal straw. There's no physical or discernible difference as far as I could tell. The only thing that lets you know that this is something different is on the package, on the straw wrapper, it says not advised to put in hot liquids or do not put in hot liquids. My guess would be if it's exposed to a certain level of heat, it starts to break down, but that's a great step forward. And that's what I like about Seattle. It is on the cutting edge of some really cool things as far as buying things from a store without interacting with people or having single serve plastics that actually do biodegrade. I appreciate Seattle for those type of things just as much as I appreciate it for its culture and its environment or the the sites that can be seen out there. As far as the trip was concerned, other cool things we did, if you ever get a chance to go out to Mount Rainier, go hike that, go take the loop around it, or at least get close to it. Beautiful, beautiful mountain wildflowers are popping up. It is just truly majestic. Other things I'd recommend in case you ever find yourself out in the Pacific Northwest, hit up the public market downtown. That's about a one-time thing, but lots of fresh fish, flowers, fruits, chocolates, candies, all kinds of stuff, and it's just this great conglomeration of some really cool things that Seattle has to offer. You can hit up the Space Needle, you can hit up all those touristy things downtown, but I think the real magic is getting into Seattle and then getting out of it. Going to the ocean, going to the Ho Rainforest up in the Olympics, going up north and seeing the San Juan Islands. There are some really, really cool locations near Seattle that I recommend you checking out. As I was saying, though, Seattle, giant dichotomy. There are Seattle residents that love the city. They're just doing great. And then there are some Seattle residents that are getting frustrated with what is happening. And like I said, I've talked to several people about this, several millennials specifically about what they're experiencing in the city. And what this boils down to for the most part, as I've talked about previously, is millennials' chances of surviving in the city. It's hard. When things become so expensive that your income level cannot provide you proper housing, that becomes difficult. And that's what I asked everyone I talked to is, how are you doing given the rise in property value, the rise of rent in this city? And it truly depends on what you do. And I talked to a host of people. I talked to an artist. I've talked to an Amazon employee. It all came back to this idea of housing and just how expensive things are in the city. And something else that I asked them about, if you do go downtown in Seattle, there's a giant homeless population. And that's something that Midwesterners, for the most part, aren't going to understand or have exposure to. But in Seattle, it's pretty bad. There are a lot of people with mental disabilities or physical disabilities or just don't have money out there on the street. I remember some picturesque type of situations that I encountered where you have this beautiful building that Amazon has built and then you have a homeless man sleeping next to it. You see this idea of vast wealth and then nothing, no wealth superimposed next to each other. That tells the whole story. Homelessness is something that's really hard to resolve. And I think that's why this problem continues to grow and hasn't really been addressed. Now, just as we're recording this, there are some things that have been coming up. For instance, the city of Seattle tried to impose a tax on the tech companies that would be used for providing housing to the homeless. That got shot down. They didn't feel it was fair to tax a company like Amazon to provide housing for the homeless, which a lot of people understood. That doesn't seem exactly fair. Pearl Jam, giant band in Seattle, 
and just across the world, hosted a two-night concert to raise money for homelessness or to combat homelessness. So there are some things going on, but there's a tough problem that needs to be addressed. And we saw some of this, and I've been seeing this the last few times I've been out there, A, just the growth of the amount of homeless people you encounter, and B, some of these homeless have decided to buy RVs. And I'm talking old RVs, like the ones from the 60s and 70s that uh, you can drive, essentially. They're not pull-behinds. And those will be parked up and down roads, and there are quite a few of them. I talked to some people that think that's a viable option. Just let the homeless have these RVs and let them park them on public streets. That could be a way to resolve the issue. There are also people that are advocates of the tiny house situation or building apartment complexes that have small rooms in them or small little units so you can have a lot of people that live in there. But that is something Seattle is struggling with is what to do with the homeless. And as I asked my interviewees this question, no one seemed to have a good answer. It's an uncomfortable subject. No one really knows what to do with it. I can talk all day about how awesome I find Seattle, but just like any other town, Seattle has its issues. In fact, there will be people that will go as far as saying that the tech companies are the issues or they are causing some of these problems. There are interesting arguments both ways on this subject. Again, I'm talking from an outsider's perspective, a millennial that loves to visit the city. But once you get talking to the locals, it's a different story. I'm going to go ahead and let you hear from some of the locals, a girl named Megan, who is an artist, and then a fellow named Julian. Hi, my name is Julian, and I've lived in Seattle since 1993. Hi, this is Megan. I'm a working artist in Seattle, so what I essentially do is I run an Etsy shop full-time. I go to conventions. I work with a lot of like local art galleries. I basically do art full-time. I asked what they felt were the benefits of being a millennial living in Seattle. There's really a lot of things to do. I mean, there's still like a lot of culture in Seattle. There's a lot of art galleries and activities and live music, a lot of random events. Like I see a lot of events like on Facebook and stuff, you know, like, oh, you can go to an outdoor movie or there's like this cool music festival somewhere. And there's a lot of stuff to do. And there's a lot of fellow millennials to enjoy it with. There's also, you know, like the outdoors and a lot of hiking and also skiing in the winter snowboarding you won't get bored in this city you're less than an hour away from some world-class outdoors people tend to be more tolerant of alternative lifestyles here than many areas of the country which probably affects millennials more than anyone else but that being said we still are far from perfect here too then i asked about the challenges of being a millennial in seattle The housing market is one of the most expensive in the nation, and I'm sure you'll hear that from other millennials as well. My wife and I have been house shopping, and in just the last four years, certain properties have doubled in value, which is, you know, probably has to do with the large influx of Amazon and other tech companies bringing in a lot of workers from outside the state who have high incomes who are buying up properties. Another factor that's going to be driving up prices, after Vancouver, we also have a lot of overseas buyers in our markets that pay all cash. So when you're bidding for a home and you have a down payment, it's hard to win a bid when you're competing with all cash from overseas investors who are just trying to get money out of their country so that it can't be taken from them 
by their governments and I understand why they're doing it, but it just makes it difficult for people who are trying to buy a house to live compared to someone who's buying an investment property that's probably going to stay empty or they're just going to rent it out. And then also Seattle has zoning problems where they don't want to make enough apartments. And there's other things where people have to live farther and farther away from the city itself to live affordably. And then that causes traffic to be really awful. Traffic is probably the second worst part about living in Seattle right now. If you live anywhere affordable outside the city, the commute is really bad. And then whatever you save on rent by living farther away is going to be eaten up in gas. And you're constantly thinking about moving farther and farther. And then at one point, you just start looking to work outside of the city so that you don't have to actually go into the city anymore and... Most millennials probably find places to uh, hang out and socialize actually outside of the city. It seems like downtown is becoming more and more for tourists because natives try to spend as little time downtown as possible. I'm sure you're aware of the cost of living out here. That's kind of the biggest thing. Making friends can also be a little challenging, especially when you like first move out here. But I mean, it kind of lessens over time. The cost of living, I guess, it's bad, but it's also kind of doable. You know, if you're willing to have housemates, you know, live in a house or something as opposed to like having a one bedroom apartment all to yourself. It's doable. It's not like, I don't know, like San Francisco levels of bad yet. If you're trying to buy a house, it's kind of difficult. I mean, I know people who are trying to find a place and you basically have to be married and, you know, have like a dual income and it's just so competitive. But renting, it's doable, I'd say. I asked both of them if they felt that big tech, Amazon, etc. was an inherent good or an inherent bad to the city. As someone who's lived here all their life, I grew up with, you know, Microsoft being around. So I'm like kind of adjusted to it. You know, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing, but also as an artist, I kind of worry about sort of the erasure of the counterculture that Seattle had that I grew up with, you know, all like the weird kooky random shit that you find in the city. That's just kind of like, oh, that's weird and kind of interesting. I do worry about that kind of stuff disappearing, especially as an artist and kind of the reason why I choose to remain in the city is just because I try to keep that culture alive. I wouldn't say tech companies are really that bad. I mean, they've brought a lot of jobs into the city and also that includes a lot of design jobs because I follow and know artists who work for like Nintendo and HBO and, you know, Facebook and Microsoft and all those awesome companies and also all the video game companies out here have provided a lot of design jobs for artists. You know, there's kind of like a balance and I'm not sure how to balance that aspect of the city, you know? I'd say that unless you're an Amazon or other new tech company worker yourself, I don't think that it really benefits anyone here. The tax revenues don't really seem to make much of a difference because with the explosion of the population, our infrastructure never matches. You have increased traffic, increased housing prices, and it doesn't seem like the revenue increase is really making much of a difference. It seems like the influence from Microsoft with Paul Allen and Bill Gates have made more of a cultural impact on Seattle, whereas Amazon and the new companies, it seems like 
those people are coming in for high paying jobs for the city, but it doesn't seem like they're setting the same kind of firm roots. It seems like they would move if another opportunity came up, whereas it seems like the Microsoft and other 90s tech companies seems like they had more of a culture of fitting in with the Seattle culture that exists, but I don't have any data for that, but it, it just seems that way. I asked what they felt could be done about the homeless population. I think giving them housing and treatment for their drug or mental health problems and the other things that we need social programs for would obviously kind of by definition take care of homelessness. Of course, it's not that simple, but Utah had a program where they just gave homeless people housing and it was way cheaper to just give them housing than it was to constantly be over-policing them or having them have health issues from being homeless and showing up at the ER and using up medical resources and different resources. Even if it was more expensive to house them, it's just more humane, so we should do it anyway. But I think it's, it's more humane and probably makes more sense just to come up with a permanent housing program. There are some, but obviously not enough. And there's always going to be some element of homeless people who prefer the streets because either they have mental health issues or they just got accustomed to the lifestyle or it's a choice. But I think for the vast majority of people, it's not a choice. And if we offered them something better and an avenue to be self-sufficient, I think most people would, would take that chance. I can't really say that I know the solution to the problem. I think it's really nuanced and there's really not like a one single thing that can make the problem go away. Personally, I don't really see a lot of the homeless population just because of where I live. I do have a lot of people who live in trailers down the street from where I live, but for the most part, they keep to themselves and they don't really bother anyone. Yeah, I don't really know what can be done. I'm not sure if like breaking down the camps and stuff like that is the most useful thing or like the most cost effective thing. But I also don't know if building like, you know, small houses and tiny houses and stuff like that is really going to work. I think it's really complicated and it seems to be very much like a West Coast problem, probably because of the climate as well. Like our winters are really mild and homeless person is most likely to survive outside in like a Seattle winter versus like. I don't know, a Chicago winter, you know? So I think it's a super complicated problem and I'm really not sure what can be done about it. And as you could hear, there's even a dichotomy between two locals. Not everyone's even on the same page of how they feel about Seattle. Megan had some good things to point out. And my friend that wanted to remain anonymous, he brought up some good points as well as far as these tech companies providing opportunities for niche restaurants to pop up or unique stores that these tech workers would want to shop at. If you didn't have big tech in Seattle, those things wouldn't exist. So it's not an inherent bad thing necessarily. However, when you talk to some of these Seattleites, they do view it as a bad thing. It's running everyone out of the city. As was pointed out by Julian, there are foreign investors that are depositing money outside of their country in order to protect it from the taxes of their country. And that, along with this increased wealth from the big tech corporations, are pricing out normal Seattle such that they can't afford the property taxes anymore. So now they have to sell their house and they're watching their city, especially the locals. And when I say locals, I'm not talking about transplants from 20 years ago. I'm talking about people that have lived there from before the 1960s. That's got to be hard for them to watch their city grow 
up around them and then they realize they can no longer hang. They can no longer support themselves in that environment. So they have to sell and then they have to leave. That's got to be tough watching your city change like this. I could sense as I talked to all three of them a certain amount of pain, whether they wanted to admit it or not. It's tough. It's a great city, it has so much to offer, but it's tough to live there. And in order to own a one-bedroom home in the city, that would be half a million dollars. And that boggles the mind of a Midwesterner. For half a million dollars in the Midwest, you can buy a fantastically large, nice home. But not in Seattle. And I think that sums up the current state of the city for millennials. Not to say that's the whole story, but that's a large portion of it and that's what they're going through. I'd like to give a special thanks to both Julian and Megan for taking time to appear on the podcast and giving us their insight. Also, I encourage everyone listening to check out Megan's Etsy store. It's called The Creeping Moon. And if you're into some creepy art like I am, check it out. She's a great artist. I even purchased some for my classroom. Good stuff. As usual, We'll provide a song pick of the week. I would encourage everyone to check out the song Whole Scene by Bon Iver. It is a very peaceful song. Reminds me a lot of fall and winter and we're coming up on that season. So very fitting tune. Thanks to those that agreed to be interviewed. Thanks for those of you that didn't want to appear on the podcast, but talk to me about your experience. I appreciate all that you have done. Thank you for checking us out, listeners. Please, as I said before, share this show. Have a great week. We will see you next week.